Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to the Ask the Industry podcast, episode 66. My name's Simon Kane, and for those of you new to the show, this is the podcast where I interview the most influential people from the worlds of stand-up, comedy, radio, and today podcasting. Helen Zaltzman is a podcasting ninja. She's been in the industry of creating DIY radio shows for the internet since 2007. She's seen the landscape of podcasts evolve and now it's her full-time job. I got her on to talk about the history of podcasting and the future of the platform and online content in general. I really loved hearing her opinions about how she thinks it's going to develop and her comparisons with things like YouTube, which I massively agree with. And and she's she's just so learned and knowledgeable. I re- I really found her fascinating, and it was great to hear her talk about stuff in a context that you don't always. Because obviously on her podcast she doesn't talk about the business side of the podcast, or she doesn't go into detail about uh, how they evolved and how they became the shows that they are today. If you want to hear any of her podcasts, you can find them all linked in the show notes, along with all of her social media channels, uh, and also her amazing podcast support group on facebook it is a constant source of help for me and it really helps me get going at the start so if you're looking at starting a podcast and you don't really know where to start first of all on my website there's a how to get started in podcasting tutorial you can also tweet me email me message me i'm more than happy to answer any questions or you can ask in the group where there is a lovely supportive network of people who want to help each other get started in this journey of creating their own shows so feel free to check that out without any more delays this is Helen Zaltzman. I started podcasting because I did not have any good reasons to say no when my friend Ollie asked me if I wanted to start a podcast and I didn't know what they were and I hadn't listened to one. So I had no idea what I was getting into. And to be honest, I think that's the best situation because otherwise I think you can get really freaked out thinking about the technology and the amount of work it is and having to get the internet to care. And, um, All of these are okay. It's just they can look very insurmountable if you think you have to be ready for them before starting. So ignorance was really key (laughs) to me starting and then carrying on. Okay, and what was the pitch? So Ollie came to you with an idea, not the other way around. Uh, Ollie Ollie approached me at um, the housewarming party for the flat we're sitting in now. And this is nearly 10 years ago. Um, And he said, I want to talk to you alone. (laughs) <laughs> and I, I thought, God, is he dying? And uh, he said, do you want to start a podcast? Because he thought those were going to be the next thing. Um, and he'd been kind of ahead of the curve on blogs. 
Um, so we didn't know what it would be yet, and there weren't that many around. Ricky Gervais was the prevalent British podcast. I hadn't really listened to that. I'd listened to the podcasted version of Adam and Joe's XFM radio show, um, which you can probably still get. Um, and um, and then a friend gave Ollie the advice, make sure it's not just two people talking shit, which is why <laughs> we thought better put in a format. And the format came quite quickly because um, it was... Ollie said, oh, you did the student radio show, which is like these little plays about fundamental questions. And I was like, well, fundamental questions, that's a bit dry. So put in agony aunt type questions as well. And um, so it was fairly quick to to think it up. But I think if you were starting now, this was like 2006, we thought that up. Now there are so many more podcasts and there's a lot more choice of entertainment on demand online as well, because that's the way TV has gone and and music, that you're competing with all of it. And I think you have a better chance of success by doing something less general than that was if you are a nobody, which we are. Um, And you can't presume that people are going to listen to it. So I think now it's better to pluck something out that is very interesting to you, interesting enough that you think I can make 50 of these or 100 and I could spend years with this idea and I will still be able to cope with this idea when I want to do anything except for make my show this week. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I I was going to laugh at that, but I really didn't want to get it on there. (laughs) No, that's all right. That volume of laugh, that's fine. Okay. I agree with that completely. Well, I'm right. (laughs) (laughs) So you should. Um, This is is 10 years of pain talking. Well, okay. So, so as you said, I was gonna, I was gonna talk about that and how the, the not just the podcasting uh, communities have evolved, but the rest of the entertainment industry has mm-hmm. kind of followed suit, if you like. And oh, no. yeah, well, the, well, they, I think they all did it independently of each other. It's quite a logical thing to do, isn't it, to make your material available on demand? I think podcasting has been so slow to develop compared to, like, YouTube started in two thousand and five, which is the same year that Apple added podcasts to the iTunes Store. So podcasting effectively started because it was much more possible to obtain them and yet youtube caught on really quickly um to the point that it became the generic term for an online video really fast and people were able to earn money from it and it was a recognizable thing and podcasting it's still it's there's still um a gap between people knowing what it is and and how to get it um and what we're doing (laughs) when we make them uh, so I think there's still a lot of work to do. It's just a, a very undeveloped medium. No, I, I, yeah, no, that's true. I mean, I uh, I interviewed a guest a few weeks ago. I won't tell you who it was. But they, I, won't, I won't tell you on this who it was. Mm-hmm. But they, they said that they'd streamed it on my website because they could, didn't work out how to get it on their phone. Oh, and wow. so I had to download the podcast player on their phone for them and show them how it worked. And I was a bit like... Uh, surprised mm. more than anything because I suppose, as a millennial, I, you know, have... I just I'm used to them being there. I mean, I didn't get into podcasting until about three years ago, maybe three and a half years ago. But yeah. I was just a listener then, and and but but I found it so simple to do. Yeah, but it is simple once you know how. Yeah, but everything's simple once you know how. Sort of. I don't know. I find my job harder and harder <laughs> the more I know how to do it. But yeah, my mum can listen to podcasts because she has a tablet now and she's in her late sixties and she can cope. Yeah. Therefore, I think other people who are in their twenties can cope. Okay. Um, so when you started in 2006, Facebook was a thing and had been for about two years. Well, Facebook had been a private thing. Um, I only joined in mid-2007. It was still, I think 2006 was about the year when it started being open to the public. 
Okay. But barely. Twitter wasn't really a thing yet. In fact, when we started, there was Odeo, which was supposed to be the YouTube for podcasts. And the internal messaging system they used to use with each other was what became Twitter. And Odeo right. disappeared. Right. Um, so that's time we're talking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I was just wondering how you, as you say, got the internet to care. Or was, yeah. or was in the early stages it just you trying to find your feet? No, well, we... Ollie, at the beginning, was very, very publicity-minded. And at the time, this was still a thing, MySpace. And we went on MySpace, and he said, this is the kind of show we would have enjoyed as teenagers, and we liked the Adam and Joe show and Lee and Herring. So find teenagers. And so we spent a couple of hours a week looking for teenagers on MySpace and um, and befriending them, which sounds worse than it is, because they're adults now, and some of them are still listening. Um, so that was the way. And then... What did we do? Harangued our friends more than I think was sensible early on. I really think you should wait when you've started a podcast until it's good. Uh, because Ollie had a friend called Nick. They are still friends. Um, and uh, he listened to the first one and he thought it was bad because the first one is all pretty much always bad. And um, then when we were still doing it years later, he listened again. He was like, I was really surprised that it was good. He's like, yeah, because there'd been like 200 of it. Hmm. It changed. But if people listen once and they don't like it, it's very unlikely that they will come back, even if a lot of time passes. It, you can't assume that people will give you a second chance because, again, so much competition. You can, their, their attention is being uh, required by so many other things. Um, so it's ruthless and you don't have that many minutes to get it either. So we were always aware of that at the beginning that that we had to grab people within about 30 seconds because they had no reason to care about us. I'm, yeah, I, I, my first few episodes, I'm aware are not as good as, for example, the last couple of episodes. Yeah. And I'm torn as to whether I should not take them down, but like have them not appear on iTunes maybe and like have them only at the subscriber mm-hmm. list. And then, because then obviously people will scroll back if they wanted to, you yeah. know, if they care enough. And then re-interview those people because I'm just sort of worried that they're going to listen to it and go, well, this is this is shit, and like walk away. I mean, is is there are there stats for that, or are they? I mean, I, I assume you. Well, there aren't really publicly available stats about podcasting trends. Generally, it's very rare that you hear that because everyone has their data privately. Um, it's not really like Nielsen or Radar collecting TV and radio data as as a kind of proportional sample. So you only have anecdotal data to go on. I think the way that most podcast directories order it means that it's more likely people will start at the most recent and work back. Mm. Um, But there are some people who want to do it methodically, but then they know what they're getting into. That's a pattern that they've clearly done before. I don't love it that people access my early episodes, but I think removing them adds a mystique that you might not want there either. Yeah. Yeah, that's the other issue, isn't it? Because it's sort of like, well, where does episode two go? What was the, Mm. you know, did you have a legally compromisable... (laughs) problem or whatever okay so what were you doing at the time as a I mean did you have a job separate to podcasting or were you because you just said you left university by that point oh yeah I was 26 by that point okay um I podcasting was not a financially viable um activity for years and years and years after I started doing it and in fact it's only been my full-time job uh since I started The Allusionist at the beginning of 2015 so I'd been podcasting for eight years at that point And it brought in some money since about 2010, but it grew to be enough to cover the amount of time I spent on it, but not enough to live off. Um, So I'd been freelance virtually since graduating and I had lots of different jobs. Um, So God, what was I doing in 2006? 
I worked as like a proofreader and copy editor on books and doing indexes, which is a job humans do, even though you automate it. And I wrote book reviews and I did some radio writing and performance and I did some live comedy-ish stuff. Just really whatever I could get paid for that I felt was bearable. Was the long-term plan, because it sounds like when you started... Because you said you were quite ignorant to what even a podcast was. Mm. Um, th- what was what did you want to be? Because it was a radio presenter yeah. panel. I think Ollie and I had always wanted to work in radio and we'd done some student radio together and then it was just very hard to get anywhere. And I'd done I'd written a bit on the Now Show on Radio 4 and I'd performed on this late night comedy show on Radio 1, but it didn't... And, th- and that was pretty exciting, but they didn't lead to anything and they didn't lead to a continuum. It was a one-off job. And so we thought, all oh, this would be like a demo. And it wasn't for several years that I could allow myself really to acknowledge that what I wanted to be doing was um, podcasting because it wasn't a job. Um, it only seemed like a means to an end, but eventually it became clear that it was the end in itself. And then the industry made it possible for that to be the case. So I think it was the job I always wanted. So did it help? Because I know you've done bits and bobs on, on radio. Mm-hmm. Did it help? Did they find you through the podcast and go, oh, she can do this, we'll put her on? Or was it a case of they just didn't even have a clue that you had this sort of, I don't want to say a side project, but mm-hmm. I suppose at the time it was, um, and and you just applied because you had the credentials from student radio? or No, I never applied for anything like that. Um, it Virtually all of the radio work Ollie and I had came as a result of the podcast. But you often have to write to people saying, I do a podcast and here's how I can help you. You know, if you write to somebody going, I would like to do this and you're leaving it to them to figure out how they can make your career happen. Why would they do that? Um, Whereas if you write to them saying, I could come on to your show and talk about this because I am qualified in this way, then it's it's much less of a demand on their time. So that's how that stuff started we were talking about the internet then because at the time the internet was still a separate entity to be talked about in that way rather than just the the place where all the stuff is and because we were podcasters they knew we had used it (laughs) and um so that was often what we were doing and then from that come other jobs once you're doing something it's a lot easier to get more of that something and then we got nominated a couple of years in for a Sony Award, which is a big deal in the radio industry that has now disappeared. Um, And we were nominated three years in a a row and we won a silver and a gold. And that recognition from the industry really made people think, oh, these people, that's a a thing we should pay attention to. So that legitimised us, despite not really, um, not really meaning anything in the space that we're in. But when you're nominated for something like that, you have this window of opportunity to write to a bunch of people and say, oh, this has happened. Maybe I could come in and we could have a, a chat. And so we had a lot of meetings in those years with people in all sorts of different jobs and different radio stations. And it was rarely the ones that we thought would lead to anything that did. We, we just went for a meeting with Jonathan Wall, who um, was the controller at Five Live. I think he was commissioner then. And he's a lovely man and, and he had no reason to spend that time. And we went in he he said, so what do you guys want? And uh, in a nice way, not like, what do you want? Yeah. And um, and we thought, shit, we didn't think about that. We just wanted to get in the room with him. And um, so we pulled some show idea out of our asses. And he said, all right, well, maybe we could put that on when the schedule is all over the place on bank holiday. So we made a couple of specials for Five Live. And then he said, we're starting this new Saturday night magazine show and you guys will be on it every week. And so that happened for four years and... Off the back of that, um, Ollie got a lot more radio work. And 
we never would have expected it. We never would have expected someone like him to do anything for us mm. in that way. So you have to cast the net wide. Yeah. And uh, in terms of uh, the early audience and building that early mm. audience, as you said, like social media isn't really what it was then. Uh, yeah. and, and you sort of had uh, your teenage friends on MySpace. <laughs> but, so, I didn't know how else to phrase that. No, fair enough. Um, but... Uh, what was there? Were you uh, sort of running for a, a, an like a base, a core base of audience at that point, or were you just trying to get you, to, you, your? How long until you sort of thought, right, we need to have a place for these people to talk to us, or we, or we need a, or we need something that adds to the community of this because we feel like we've got a format, we feel like we've got it going. I think you're thinking in a way um, that is built by the fact that those facilities exist. When they don't exist, you just make do with what you have. Right, yeah. Um, and we weren't going to run a, a Web 1.0 forum because we did not frequent those places. Okay. Um, and I think it took quite a while for me to get into the swing of using Twitter and Facebook. I only signed up to Twitter, actually, because someone signed up as Answer Me This, which I thought was very sad because I thought, wouldn't you aim higher? <laughs> if you're posing as anybody, go for, go for someone big that people have heard of. But I think... In the early days, in the first year, and we wrote to a lot of journalists as well who were covering podcasts. If we saw someone who wrote about podcasts, we would email them. And it was making their job easier to alert them to the existence of our podcasts because there were so few and there were very few British ones at the time. And so old media really helped. I remember we were in the, the London paper, you know, the old free sheet that used to be given out on the tube that no longer exists. But just that, we had people clicking through for a year to the Answer Me This site from the fact they also had it on their website. Like the audience peaked a lot whenever we had old media exposure then. But during the first year, we kept going, I think, because it because the audience kept expanding. So it felt like we were onto something. And then at the end of the first year, we got a promotion from iTunes and that made the audience just rocket overnight. But I don't think it has the same effect now. But then most people got their podcast through desktop iTunes. And if you went on desktop iTunes and there was a podcast featured on it, you would probably click on it. Mm. Um, At least to give it a go. Yeah. yeah, and because if you were that keen, you probably were looking for shows and didn't know about them. So that was most people's conduit into podcasts. And um, so that exposure was really invaluable. And so since that time, a year in, it just kept growing on its own. But it was a very concerted effort in the first year. It was like a part-time job to build the audience. And I don't know how you would do it now. I think it's a lot harder now. There's much more knowledge about podcasting but there's also a lot more stuff out there can't i can't fix it for you <laughs> no no oh, no i'm asking yeah. that i know that's fascinating for me because when i when i launched this one i got featured in new and noteworthy yeah and i and i didn't even think to look on itunes because yeah. i don't go to that for my podcast right. and a friend of mine sent me a screenshot going have you seen this and i was like no and he goes well have you not your downloads gone up because you're, you're on the front page and i was like no <laughs> if, if anything in the last three days they've gone down by about 100 for some reason um, well it's only because uh, the, the you know the, the I think people have just downloaded it so they just mm-hmm. I didn't I didn't. this was sort of two three months in so I didn't have right. the biggest audience anyway so yeah. it just sort of plateaued but I just find it interesting back then that you would have so when now do you think you've reached a peak in your do you, do you mind uh, me asking like how many subscribers do you know how many subscribers you've got you don't know ever how many subscribers you've got you can tell downloads I don't discuss those figures in public okay. no, because um, the numbers stick around but but the actual numbers go up but sponsors know about the ones that are on public record okay. and so they pay us less than they should 
Okay, fine. Yeah. Um, no, sorry, I didn't mean to. That's um, right. But it, it's just a case of I was wondering, do you think your audience has sort of got to capacity at this point then? After sort of 10... Uh, we're talking about Just the Answer Me podcast. Uh, answer Me this podcast, sorry. Mm-hmm. At the moment. Or, or do you think there's always scope to expand it outwards? So yeah. Do that? Okay. Yeah, there are what nearly... There are 7 billion people in this world. I think about 5 billion of them have got internet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think... Um, there are still people discovering it all the time. And mostly answer me, this audience is in Britain. And whenever we get um, particularly listeners in America, they um, they love listening to Brits talking. <laughs> and um, But it, it's word of mouth over there that they've heard of it. It's never really had yeah. PR in America. And then there are other countries where people listen to stuff and um, understand English. So, yeah, I think there's totally um, places it could still go. Didn't you once go... I can't remember which country you went to. Luxembourg. Luxembourg. We went, that was what we did at the end of the first year. Um, but that wasn't really <laughs> to get the inhabitants of Luxembourg to listen to the podcast. That was um, that was gaming the system. But this is, this is illustrative of the effort we put in to get our show an audience. And when I tell people it was a part-time job, I think they think sending a couple of tweets, they're working hard. Like <laughs> we, we got to number 21 in the British iTunes chart... And the top 20 was full of famous people like Stephen Fry and BBC and Channel 4 podcasts because Channel 4 radio was a thing then. And we thought we can't, there's no way we can compete with those things because we're just two people no one's heard of (laughs) with no resources. So we thought, well, let's go to the place in the world that is um, like the smallest country that has its own iTunes store because at the time there were only about 20 countries that had them. And uh, that was Luxembourg where... um, iTunes happens to be registered as well. Uh, so we went there for a day and we went on the expat radio station on the breakfast show and then we went to the Christmas market. It's very good, by the way. If you're in Luxembourg in December, it's a really lovely market. Um, and um, we were giving out gingerbread men with a bilingual leaflet on asking people to subscribe to the show and they were not into it at all. That is not what Luxembourg likes. They don't like pranks. Um, they don't like people being <laughs> silly on the streets. They want, they want to get their their lamb lunch at the Christmas market and then get back to their bureaucratic or diplomatic jobs. And um, and then um, we busked jingles and there were these stupid little stunts. And yet, because it's such a small country, uh, by after a day we were number three. Um, and because iTunes was registered there, we thought we were filming a little video of this antic. Um, so we thought, well, it'd be funny to go there. It was just a letterbox at the time. Now there are actually people working there. Um, and stuff a huge Christmas card into the letterbox and um, a box of chocolates because it was a funny visual. And then a couple of weeks later, we had an email from um, the guy who was in charge of Britain's podcast saying, well, thanks very much for the card. They hadn't forwarded on the chocolates at this mm. time. Come in and meet me. And so ever since, we've had a, a, a very nice relationship with the people at iTunes because it is run by people and they're really cool and they really want to support indie efforts it's just very hard for them to find them when they're dealing with several hundred thousand podcast feeds but it's sort of reassuring to know that it is individuals behind this thing and they listen to a lot of stuff and they they want it to work for people who are nobody's like we were in a living room um, but it's just difficult. That's really interesting. I so I assumed there would obviously there's people working behind everything, but I didn't think they'd be listening to. I mean, maybe in their personal life, but do you mean like professionally they are asked to listen to certain podcasts to create? Yeah, the... they, so they they program new and noteworthy manually. Right. Oh, um, ma- okay. Yeah. So they listen to a lot of stuff, 
And sometimes they have to listen to a lot of shows in a category they don't particularly care for. I remember speaking to one of them where she just spent ages having to listen to... There are a lot of podcasts by female entrepreneurs who just appear to interview each other. And it's a very strange ecosystem. It's a massive facet of podcasting, these business and entrepreneurship podcasts. Mm. But I think they have limited appeal outside of that. Um, And she... She was really losing it after having to spend so much time trying to find good ones of that she, that she could feature it because they were featuring that category of show. Yeah. No, so they I, suffer. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. No, that's that's fascinating. Sorry, I, I'm literally thinking to myself now, um, what else do they? Because uh, the the it makes sense the because I know they've got a Twitter feed and I know they've got the um, the head banner thing, which I presume they curated. But then I thought new and noteworthy would have been just automated for stuff that's new that's been submitted or whatever but that's no no okay okay so when you uh when you started mm-hmm. and like podcasting was clearly not as much as prevalent as it is now it was really not much of a thing at all and virtually no one knew what it was okay now mm-hmm. why do you think it is so popular among comedians I th- it was popular among comedians early uh, because it comedians love to talk and it allows <laughs> them to do that without even having to go and get a gig Right. So comedians were pretty early on it. The iTunes charts were very dominated in Britain, particularly for years, by stand-ups. I think the topics have diversified quite a lot now. Yeah. And also there were a lot of comedians in Britain who were frustrated by how impossible it was to get a comedy slot on Radio 4. They were so limited and the gatekeepers were not that interested in getting too much new stuff on. And podcasting provides another way. Do you think that's still the case, or do you think that... I don't really have to deal with radio anymore, because I have my own shows. Okay. Yeah, they pay better okay, than, uh, than radio. Fair enough. Um, you mentioned awards earlier on. Yeah. And you, I, I think you said, I don't want to misquote you, but you think you said that it didn't really make much of an... Ep- or, or it doesn't really mean much in this area. Like no, in I radio. don't think it does. Okay. Yeah. But now there are there are podcast awards, like the Chortle have one, for like uh, internet stuff. And right. I, think, I think they just call it internet content or something like that yeah. to keep it vague so that it can encapsulate more than podcasts yeah I mean do you what are your opinions on awards and do you think they actually sh- you know are, ne- are needed necessarily um I think where they're helpful is getting attention to things that people might not have heard of I think that can be very productive I think where awards are bad is when you pay to enter and then you have to jockey your listeners to vote for you i think when you are asking people to vote for you that is doing more for whoever set up the awards than it is for anyone who is nominated so i don't participate in those the ones where you pay to enter sometimes there's just a lot of admin involved with that and sometimes it's having having judged them as well it is quite an intensive job and somebody has to administrate. I've never been paid to judge awards. I don't know if that happens. But sometimes they, you know, they need to hire a venue for people to do that or whatever. They need to pay for the award ceremony. But if it's like 20 quid, I think that's all right. But the Sonys were 100 quid to enter and 200 quid each to go. And then 12 quid for water when you were there. And it just felt like, I think that was very enlightening to me. Because I thought, oh, what awards are is an amazing money-making scheme. So like the Mercury Prize, you pay to go, you pay hundreds to go to that. And so someone is laughing um, and it is really less about those rankings and just so much of it seemed spurious that I thought, okay, well now you've got one, you don't really need to worry about awards anymore. Yeah, yeah, totally. That said, I'm up for an award and it'll be fun if I win it. But also I don't feel like I'm diminished if I don't. 
Which award is it? So that's um, what they call them, the Academy of Podcasters Awards. It's part of Podcast Movement, which is a newish podcaster conference thing that takes place every year in the US. I think the third one is this year. Cool. So that's how long it's been going. And I didn't have to enter that, yeah. I think, unless I did it in a dream. <laughs> <laughs> well, good luck. Thanks, but it's fine if I don't, because I'm sort of like, well, just doesn't doesn't really bother me. Fair enough. (laughs) It's a nice state to be in, I think. Um, But I think it certainly helps to have had that validation to feel like that validation isn't worth too much. Um, Imposter syndrome can sneak in, I imagine, at some point, if you've been doing a certain amount of time. Mm. And say, say, I mean, for example, my audience sometimes plateaus for a month or something, and I often wonder, or or the downloads are about the same one month to another month, and I sort of go... Have everyone lost interest? Have I have I sort of ruined you know? Or, right. or have I been? Or are these all bots now? Am I just you know? Might be bots, but bots need entertainment, right? They do, they do, and apparently they really love listening to me. Great, which is, which it's good is, audience to have. It's growing. I, I'm trying to get them to come down to a gig. They're, yeah, they're less keen on that. Ah, oh, rude. I'll do a Skype sh- yeah. show for them. Yeah, good. <laughs> Don't have to leave my room. Great, it's amazing. Okay, so what factors were in place that made you start to try and monetize a podcast? Like, was it was it a case of other podcasters started asking for donations, or did you just think, you know, I, I want this to be my job, so I'm going to make a move? No, it was way earlier than that, actually. Um, in early 2008, when we'd been podcasting for just over a year, because it started January 2nd, 2007, um, the burst of publicity we had from iTunes resulted in us busting the bandwidth of our host. <laughs> And the host doesn't tell you how much bandwidth you'd used. They just took money off Ollie's credit card. So they took $2,000 off Ollie's credit card. And we were like, well, that's pretty mean. Because you don't... And our audience was tiny then compared to what it is now. And the number of episodes on the feed was not that big. So if we were paying that amount then, now it would just be completely untenable. We managed to argue them down to, I think, $80 in the end. Because it was immoral. And especially as they don't tell you how much. But we we thought, we've got to move hosts. And we have to have some income coming in to cover this. So we moved to a host that doesn't charge for bandwidth. Which... I would recommend to everybody don't <laughs> don't go with a host that charges for bandwidth because they will come and fuck you up. Um, Who are you with? Sorry. So we are with Libsyn. We moved Answer Me This to Libsyn, and we were with GoDaddy, and Libsyn have been very good. And so we started selling off our first few episodes, um, and part of that does feed into what you were saying earlier. You didn't want people to hear them, put them behind a paywall, and uh, and they <laughs> they don't hear them as much, but annoyingly it does mean most people buy the first few because that's what they're most curious about so we thought do we crank the price up if we if we charge 200 pounds for episode one <laughs> but then i think that's the mystique thing it looks like it's really valuable just because it has a high price and uh, price and value are not the same um <laughs> so that started then and that has been a steady income for us ever since increasingly because we have more and more episodes um that are paid for we always had a lot for free we always wanted to provide free content um because that's nice um and also it gets people into the show you it's only it's only people who are really into the show that are going to buy more <laughs> when they already have a hundred plus free ones to listen to and then all of the other people's shows um and at the time there were shows that were paywalled and it would just make their audience stop growing and we didn't feel like we could afford to do that and we didn't think we had the entitlement to ask people for money and i think people are a lot more used to hearing about it now in America, they're used to it because their radio stations have always asked for money. But because that doesn't happen here, we felt like we could neither do it nor would be justifiable to do it. Um, and then we first started carrying ads in 2010 because we were approached by Audible. So it really came from them. Um, and all of our advertisers have approached us so far on Answer Me This. 
Um, and, um, and that made a significant difference to the income. Okay. And, and when they approached, because I, I mean, I've been approached about sponsors before and I felt a little bit, I don't know, just, just worried about doing that. I, I don't know. Why? I don't, because I, I don't like adverts. Mm-hmm. So, so I feel quite uncomfortable, especially plugging. If it was something that I used or liked, I suppose I'd be less worried about telling other people because I, I would do that anyway. Yeah. But most of the ones I've contacted are not ones that I would necessarily have used or, or even knew about prior to this. Yeah. Uh, there are a lot of products that I wouldn't have known about were it not for podcasts. Um, I think your options are to be unpaid, to take money from your audience, which can have its problems and also depends on your audience. Sometimes your audience doesn't really have the spare cash and you really have to count on them being very devoted to you. Um, or you can do ads and I'd rather make my show and carry ads, but I've always been very stubborn about how I will do the ads so that um, I feel like they're an okay experience for the listener. So even if they don't care, there's, they're not switching off. And that also means that they're more likely to act on the ad if there's some code they need to use or something because they haven't, they ha- their attention hasn't wandered elsewhere because of the stupid way in which I'm talking about the product or doing a jingle about it or something. So that's why, answer me this, we do jingles about them and they're very irreverent because Audible got it. Um, Audible, the first time we did Audible, we were quite respectful. And then much later in the show, we just happened to be talking about, I think something like listening to an audiobook of Mein Kampf on the toilet. And the Audible guy was like, yeah, more of that. And we thought, okay, cool. Well, and then we just tested the boundaries and they never they never complained about anything because they knew that it made them look better because it made the product seem cool and it made the audience trust it. And we said, you can cancel your membership at any time. And to them, intuitively, they don't want people to know that. But for our listeners, it's much easier to opt in when you know that you can opt out. Yeah. And then once you've opted in, you're less likely to opt out, I think. Yeah. Um, and and Squarespace have been the same. Um, we do these increasingly stupid jingles about Squarespace because everyone who listens to podcasts has heard about Squarespace so many times. And we didn't, we didn't want to just do the same script that everyone else was doing. But there's only so much you can say about Squarespace when you've been sponsored by them for years um, and written 20 jingles about them. So the jingles got stupider and stupider. And we were expecting Squarespace at some point to go listen guys no um and instead they would just say things like do enjoy sharing these around the office so maybe we're just squarespace's pet uh pet stupid project um so i think you don't have to make compromises that you're uncomfortable with i've never had to advertise a brand that i have been uncomfortable with i have turned down a couple um because i thought that's not a product the listener is interested in there was one of the massive investment banks and I thought, I don't know what they expect to get out of it. <laughs> but also the listener, they'll be like, why is this happening? Yeah. There's nothing in it for, for either side. So yeah. I didn't. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I suppose uh, my day, uh, sorry, I, I, I'll, I presume that you haven't Googled me. Uh, my, my day job is in social media marketing. So I do a lot of stuff with uh, Facebook ads mm-hmm. or, or YouTube advertising or that kind of stuff. And I'm aware that the, I suppose with sponsorship it's different, but with, with, with ge- generic advertising, the pay is so low on the CPM that means yeah. that I don't, and I and I think people. Uh, I mean, I've just written a book about this, and in it, wow. I was talking about the the. Uh, I'll send you a copy. Um, cool. It's uh, it's it's called How to Make a Living by Working for Free. So you might really <laughs> enjoy it. Um, Done it, mate. Yeah. I, well, no, this is the yeah. thing. It's it's one of these things where. Um, I, I had a few, I had three people send me messages saying, well, "Have you done it yet?" And I'm like, "No, but I've worked for six years in social media. I've worked for five years in comedy and for two and a half years, no, yeah, two years in podcasting. Mm-hmm. I know the route that you need to go down, and that there is kind of a route for it now. And I do, and the book doesn't tell you how to do it. It just tells yeah. you what happens. You would be an idiot to get into any of those things for the money. Oh yeah, no. I- but if it results, <laughs> then then you feel pleased. Yeah. Like but- if you expect it, then it then you're, it, it's going to be a disappointment. And you also m- reduce your chances of it happening. Exactly. Yeah. But then when it does happen, as it has for me, you're like, phew, yeah, <laughs> brilliant. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I mean, so so because I know the low numbers of the CPMs and because my audience is not... So I, I get a couple of thousand downloads on every episode mm. when it starts up and then, then probably every week I get maybe 10 to 20 downloads after the mm. first month of you know the episode being out sort yeah. of thing. So my audience isn't big enough that the the return rate on a yep. sponsor would be enough that it would validate me putting an advert on it. Yeah, that's how we felt with Answer Me This as well. There was always a financial point below which we thought it wasn't worth having the interruption. Yeah. And I think generally, whether you're going for milking your audience for cash or adverts, it's very hard to make any significant money from podcasting if your audience is under about 50,000 people. As in per episode? Yeah. Or into, okay, I yeah. think you meant subscribers. Okay. Well, that's sort of the same. No, because uh, I, I don't think every every person on my subscriber list will be listening to every episode. Right, but if you're doing something like Answer Me This, where it's kind of the same product each time, then the audience is consistent. Whereas if you're doing okay. an interview show, people will download the ones where it's someone they're interested in and not the other ones. So right. you probably see more variation than I do with Answer Me This or The Illusionist. Makes sense. Um, but you get a much higher CPM if you do ads um, in a personalised way, as, as I choose to do. Well, that's probably the way I would do it if I mm. if I did that. And if I ever got to a stage where my audience was 50,000 uh, or it was getting 50,000 per episode, I would probably approach some brands that I like and say, yeah. can I do an advert? However, I don't know if I would then. because So I have a Patreon. I don't know yeah. what you think of that as a platform. It's good. I've, I've not I've not used it. I do patronise some people, but I've not tried to earn money myself that way. But I, I like the idea that those things are possible now. Is there any reason why you haven't used it? 
Um, well, for Answer Me This, we've just never done crowdfunding, and The Illusionist Radiotopia has a different um, crowdfunding model. They built their own, basically. Okay, fair enough. So, as a so for Answer Me This, would you say that the majority of the the support for that is sponsorship? Then? Yeah, and then you and have... and and people buying the old episodes and bonus content. And you've got merch, I believe. Merch is not for money. Like, there's no markup on the merch. Oh, is there really? Okay, no. fair enough. That's, that's really interesting. The base cause... price is expensive, so it's really just for people who want merch, but it's not a moneymaker. Interesting. I've, I've just interviewed um, Ray Peacock from mm-hmm. uh, the, the Parapod, and um, he was saying that uh, we were talking about uh, how he's had to budget it out so that the people that donate a certain amount get stuff and vice versa yeah. so that they can cover costs and get the products yeah. out to people. The... The stance we always took with Answer Me This is that we were selling digital audio products because we knew that that's what people already wanted because they already liked the podcast. And also that is endlessly replicable. Once you put in the initial effort, you don't have to package things up and take them down to the post office and you don't have to store T-shirts anywhere or all that stuff. There's no cost per unit once you've made it. So I would certainly recommend that as an approach that makes your life easier and gives people the thing that they want. And also... Um, there's a long tail on it. Um, yeah. Stuff that we made nearly 10 years ago is earning us money. Um, whereas if people buy a T-shirt, they're like, okay, well, I've supported that show. You might get £2 from them buying that T-shirt and that's it. Whereas this, they might buy episodes 1 to 10 and be like, okay, well, now I want 1 to 40. Um, mm. And they, they keep buying them and other people keep buying them. Um, so that has worked out a lot better for us, I think, than selling physical merch. Yeah. No, I can imagine that. It's an effort per thing sold in a way that the other things aren't. Yeah, I mean, my book at the moment is being formatted by Amazon mm-hmm. and I'm really excited to get a physical copy. However, I know that I can put a digital download store on my website as well as Amazon, Yeah, which means that a, I'd get more for it because it'd be direct from me, but also I, I keep the information. So like when you, when you sell something on Amazon, you don't get their email address, for example. Whereas if they do it direct with me, I can email them in six months' time and say, hey, I've got another book if right. I do, that kind of thing. Yeah. So so there's all kinds of other advantages as well because if someone buys a physical thing, you can't exactly send them a... Like, you can't send them a postcard in the mail going, I've got a new book. Like, it seems a bit... Yeah. Well, you could, but they'd probably not even open it. Um, and also, <laughs> if, if people are listening all over the world, then that is another cost and mm. another load of pain. Oh, yeah, definitely. definitely. It's just like... It's such a time-consuming thing anyway to do podcasting. Just think of ways that you can make your life easier. <laughs> oh, yeah, totally, totally. Yeah. How would you... Because I read a thing online. Mm-hmm. I, try, I try and research the guests as much as possible beforehand so I don't double up on questions that you've already been asked. Oh. But, okay, well... <laughs> no, no I've, I've, I've probably said all these things uh, elsewhere, so apologies for not having anything oh, original to say. No, 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 it's fine. Yeah. Um, I, I'm going to presume no one's, no one's heard those things because I spend ages on the internet mm-hmm. looking people up. But one of the things I read was you said, I think you spend how many hours a week editing? It was like 12, it's, it's Yeah, it's hard to gauge. Answer me this, each episode takes three days, but that's three, right. like, three long days. The Illusionist takes far longer. Like, I, I had, like, very few days off last year when I was producing... I put out 54 podcasts in 2015 Mm. Um, and they're all produced by me and that might not sound much but like when something takes maybe eight days to produce then it and then the other thing takes three days and then you've rolled over into the next fortnight it it just doesn't leave you much time to do other things and Mm. um, it's very taxing and um, the hours are long and uh, antisocial it's a strange antisocial job when you're editing audio which is the time consuming thing and you're just looking at a waveform of your own voice (laughs) Yeah, I know exactly what uh looks like 
in a wave format for myself. Nice. No, it's not. <laughs> so it makes you hate the sound of your own breathing as well. Uh, oh yeah. Editing. Yeah. yeah. Oh, like, you, like great a, job though. Everyone should give it a go. When I when I was chatting to Ray, Barry Dodds was there as well, mm. and he kept going off on. Ta- I don't know if you've heard the Parapod, but he went off on a load of tangents. And at the end, of, when when Barry had to leave, I said to Ray, "I'm really not fo- looking forward to editing that." And he goes, "That's why I was really happy you came because." I, I like other people having to edit him, not me. <laughs> it's yeah. like, it was really fun. Yeah, it's one of those things. But I think I think that's interesting. I mean, I I have stopped keeping track of how long it takes me to edit these. Yeah, I'm not. I don't keep track. It's not like I'm knocking oh, no. off the hours. <laughs> I'm too busy. Yeah. No. I mean, I mean, I bought my laptop to edit on the track. I mean, mm. you know, it's one of those things. But I think it's interesting because most people, when they talk to, like, when they ask me how to get started, and mm. I made a little. Uh, blog on my website like an indie guide on how to start making like how to set up a podcast Mm -hmm. but most people then message me a week later going how do you make this editing thing quicker and i I don't (laughs) know if you've got any tips or hints or things you learned along the way that no it's got slower because (laughs) because i'm yeah well like answer me this it's it's a very methodical job i I do kind of know how long that will take Mm -hmm. and i know that will take roughly four times as as long as the piece of stuff i've got to edit the thing is, I'm editing for content. Some people are just editing to take ums and ahs out. I'm editing to take everything out that doesn't need to be there. Mm. And it might not sound like that. It might not sound like a minimalist show, but that is the intention. And I think a lot of people aren't. And one thing that really, really bothers me that I think is kind of a schism in podcasting in particular is people equating editing with dishonesty. I equate it with not wasting the listener's time because they have been generous enough to give you that time. Don't give them unedited shit because there's no other form that isn't prepared before or edited after and usually both like if you're writing something if you're painting something you're making all these decisions about what isn't going to be in it and yet in podcasting people like yeah you just talk for two hours and you put that out and that is that is the key and you're like no that is that's idiotic no and presumptuous yeah it's arrogant yeah i i got i got a message from someone i won't say who but it was a comedian about two weeks ago and they'd started listening to my podcast and he sent me an email saying i really love the show but they'd picked out one episode and gone I felt like you were just trying to get this one up to a time because, like, it was quite like it had a lot of filler in it. I was like, huh? first of all, up to t- what to what time? Yeah, every episode, internet a- time. Yeah, every episode's a different length on mine yeah. because I don't. Yeah, same. You know, but and also, like, why would I do that? Mm. Like, why would I go? Oh, I'll just leave in that twenty minutes of coughing because that, <laughs> that's definitely what everyone wants to hear. Like, I know, yeah. I know, because people were complaining about the length of my intros at one point because mm-hmm. I was taking about two to three minutes on an intro. How dare you? But uh, like I said, though, you have so little time to catch people's yeah. attention it's like 19 seconds or so on the and it feels like five minutes well this is why now what i do and it's a little bit of a trick is i is i take a s- snippet of something you've said put it at the start so when they hit play it's immediately yeah. you talking and then i cut it and then do an intro yeah. so they so they sort of know what they're getting and then they get yeah. the whole episode if that makes sense i i've i've heard that trick yeah yep yeah. are you from mine or from other, oh, others sorry. yeah, others. Okay. yeah. I, no. i've done it i've done it myself yeah, yeah. it's 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 i think it's helped yeah. Because I think it, I mean, it would help with me if I was listening to it as well. Yeah. And it also gets me, also when I listen to it back before I'm about to hit, you know, upload, I quite like that when I hit play, it's it's not my voice going, it's like the yeah. other person's and it's something exciting. Nick van der Kolk, who makes Love and Radio, he really likes it when podcasts drop people into the middle. Because in radio, there's a lot of handholding and they do have to hit the 28 or 58 minute mark. So often they do have to leave in fillers so that it <laughs> it mm. is long enough. In podcasting, you don't need to do that. And also the one thing you know about podcasts, people have been listening from the beginning. It's mm. not like in radio where someone might walk in halfway through, mm. so they recap all the time. And therefore, I think you can take some greater leaps of faith that 
the listener is paying attention and will follow you if you are quite demanding of them. And um, and he loves it when they disorient uh, the listener. Yeah. Um, and my work resi- isn't really predicated to that because it's entertainment and it's it's not that outre. Mm. But as a listener, I do like it. I don't like being condescended to. There's um there's a podcast feed called Seriously, which is of Radio Four documentaries, and what they do is explain exactly what you're going to hear before then they play the documentary. And I'm like, why did you do that? Now I don't need to listen to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's annoying, but I don't know what they're thinking by doing that. Maybe they'll listen to this and think. Maybe she's right. She's right. <laughs> yeah, she's right. Go with it, Radio Four. Just try it. Just try my way for a couple. Uh, when I was chatting to Ben Walker, he said that when he's putting together an episode, he tries to make them. He he's thought about how long. Uh, the average person's commuters yeah. and has tried to make it an hour so that they can sort of listen to one episode from start to finish. That's a very London-centric uh, commute time. Yeah, I thought about that after we, after we said that. Because Answer Me This started at 20, 25 minutes because we thought that fits into mm. a lot of people's journeys, even though we live in London, so it, it didn't mm. take an hour to get anywhere. Um, but that means in that hour you can listen to two of them mm. or someone else's show. Uh, I think asking people to listen to an hour of something, particularly when you're starting out, is... Uh, unrealistic right i think when you're starting particularly shorter the better mm. once people are in then you can you can be a bit looser if you want but surely if if people start usually at the top and work their way backwards mm-hmm. if their episodes are getting progressively slightly longer yeah but if they're better and longer that's all right oh, okay fair enough yeah. yeah yeah no i was i was wondering if that had ever come into your i mean obviously at the start it sounds like yeah you said 25 minutes is sort of your aim for that yeah but if you'd if you'd ever sort of said right we'll, we'll never make an episode longer than this or we'll never yeah it's tacitly there because answer me this grew to being 25 to 30 and then we went from being weekly to fortnightly so we made it longer so now it's it's usually 38 to 43 minutes and it would only be on special occasions that we made it longer than 45, like the best of episode or something. A landmark episode would be longer, but that would be one every year. And because you know roughly how much of it someone needs, or you should know that. Like The Illusionist, I could make it as long as I want, but I would really like it to be 13 minutes each time. It isn't, it varies from like 12 to 20, but I feel like 13 is the right length for it. And in terms of, if you were to compare working for your your own shows to working on something for the BBC, for example, other than the obvious control element that you get for this versus what you'd probably get on the BBC, uh, I'm not trying to pigeonhole them, I'm just, I know you've done some stuff for them. It's a bit, whenever there are other people involved, then compromises start to happen and different layers of stuff you have to go through happen, inevitably, whoever it is. So, So what would you say are the biggest advantages and disadvantages of podcasting versus working for a, for any radio slash yeah agent? well podcasting you get to do what you want and you don't have to wait for permission so i've been in radio for commissioning processes where it's a once a year opportunity to get one 30 minute slot in 18 to 24 months time and i'm like i could make this show and put it out in four days so why would I wait? Because the money is not particularly great. And so why don't I just do it? So if you're used to being able to make stuff, then radio is kind of painful. But there is a certain kudos in some people's minds that you're on the radio. So I guess there's that. People still respect the medium. And sometimes you'll learn things that you can't learn on your own because you're collaborating with people and you're operating in a different medium. But generally, I do prefer podcasting. It is fun to do live radio because that is quite a different skill to doing podcasts which are all pre-recorded and um, it's good to keep those muscles alive occasionally what are the best things that have come out of podcasting in terms of opportunities or 
experiences. Apart from podcasting being my job now, which is the absolute best. And <laughs> Apart the, from that. <laughs> yeah, and the people I've met through it, the podcasters and also listeners, that, that has been really great, like making connections with people through this thing. And a lot of my really good friends are people who that was the initial contact. Um, and before that, in 2010, we had a couple of great jobs that resulted from Answer Me This. We wrote a book and that was published by Faber and Faber who have, it's T.S. Eliot founded it and they have like Sylvia Plath stuff and Alan Bennett stuff and Samuel Beckett and us. Mm. And so we were like, well, this is ridiculous, but uh, they don't seem to be joking. So that was really cool. And also that year, Visit Britain paid us to go on holiday around Britain and make stupid little videos. And being paid on to go on holiday is as good as you would think it is. And what, and what are the, like disadvantages of podcasting then like what what were the 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 sticking points that made you sort of go i mean were there any times i mean obviously it's great that you get to do it all yourself but were there any moments where you just went maybe i'll just i'll, I'll just keep apply, i'll keep this as it is but i'll keep applying for sort of the mainstream roles in in different radio industries but i've never really except for the first couple of years of my career i was never really applying for jobs like that okay i think it's a very difficult things to do long term people think that starting a podcast is hard but carrying on is so much harder particularly if I'll wait for that to go just one one disadvantage of recording here i used to uh live with my girlfriend in acton and mm-hmm. there were two police stations between like the where we were oh, and as a result shit. every like sort of yeah because the first uh, that's that's another reason why i want the first five to come back down because i've listened back to the second one and i i've tried to edit it down like because because i'm facing the window and they're not yeah. so my mic picks it up a lot more yeah, yeah. but even with it on the lowest thing you still have it on the rib on the rib oh, uh, not reverb or whatever there's yeah and i mean there are a couple of times where i've had to say can you just Wait yeah. a sec, but they're in like the flow, and you don't want yeah. to sort of stop them. And yeah, I always regret that afterwards, though, when um, I should have said something at the time, or yeah. I should have like stopped interviewing them at that time and done it a later time hmm. with better sound. I was saying, yeah, people think that starting is the hard thing with podcasting, but carrying on is a lot harder because it is quite a solitary thing to do, and often it feels like you're doing it for no reason. Because for most of the years, I was doing it as well. I was a successful podcaster, but that was an absolutely meaningless thing to be because no one knew who it was, uh, who, what, no one knew what podcasting was. So that's like just shouting into an empty room. Mm. And it was only because other things were coming off the back of it that it seemed worth carrying on before it became evident that it was an end in itself. So the last couple of years have been a lot easier because podcasting is a thing now. But, but that is really hard. And being sick of your own voice is hard. And I do all these jobs making the show and really I only want to do a couple of them I, I don't want to be doing everything from like the lowliest thing to like mastering the whole production but I do that adds up to a lot of time and can make you a bit demented <laughs> yeah 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 I got that I mean I'd, uh, I'd love to ask you what all the roles are that you all the hats yeah. you wear because I I mean I suppose there's probably a few I'm missing out because I, I started this very ignorantly as well as in I didn't really know what I was doing and I don't have anyone else that helps me with it. I do yeah. absolutely everything in terms of marketing and getting it out there and building the communities and also editing, recording, bringing, yeah. you know, that kind of stuff. So, so yeah, maybe it's a good, maybe for listeners who are maybe looking at starting a podcast yeah. who don't know every role that would come into it. Oh, I don't want to scare them. <laughs> I, I do. Um, <laughs> right, so... Maybe if we take it from, from step one of you haven't yeah. got an episode to yeah. putting an episode out. Yeah, so if it's The Illusionist, I have to think of the idea... Um, and then I have to think what would be an interesting way to pursue this idea and then who could I talk to to get the material for that idea and then once I've talked to them I transcribe that and that is where 
the direction of the show starts to become apparent. And then I think, do I need someone else to be on this? How could I sound design this? Which is not a natural talent I have. And I'm doing all the engineering myself as well, which is not a natural talent I have. Don't care how mics work. Um, Don't care how the recording software works, all of that. Don't care. But I have to do it. And then I'm editing. I taught myself to edit for Answer Me This, taught myself to run a website, all of that. And then writing the script and then like doing all of the all of the finicky little details to make sure the sound quality is consistent because when you're listening on headphones differences in volume are very very annoying and sometimes very painful if there's a sudden loud noise or if suddenly the volume drops out and you can't hear it because you're on a train and then using the various things you do to release an episode and then doing a website post that makes it as easy as possible for people to listen to an episode so there's itunes and there's soundcloud and there's like direct download and there's a clickable player and there's the rss feed and there's information about the episode as well there's all this stuff there's as much stuff as possible that I feel like people will need without it being a huge sprawling thing that means that they don't have to listen because all the information is there. And then there's the publicising. But way before that point, I've become sick of it and I just really don't want to have to do it anymore. And then it has to start again. Then I'm like, okay, well now you have the 10 minutes of peace between the episode being out and the first person complaining about it. <laughs> so that is the most peaceful part of my job. Okay. That every fortnight, <laughs> that 10 minutes. I'll ask every guest this. They're quick fire for me. You take as long as you would like to to answer them. Yeah. Um, so, and also, again, not all of them might be something you can answer or want to answer. Sure. Blah, blah, blah. Um, Don't worry, I've answered questions before. Uh, no, no, no. I've no. answered like 5,000 for answering this. This is, honestly, it's literally just me on autopilot when I say stuff like that because I say it to yeah. every guest. Go for it. Okay, so what are the best books on... Well, normally I'd ask what are the best books on comedy, writing, or stand-up you've read, but how about if we said what are the best books on podcasting, editing, or stuff for the wouldn't wouldn't know if you go to a book to learn how to do something with the internet then it will be out of date by the time it's published i know you've just written one so maybe yours but we had podcasting for dummies and another one when we started and they were so complicated that we almost gave up before we began i would suggest not using a book okay fair enough um for for the record my book is is not about putting stuff on the internet it's about building a community around what you do great okay better what is the best show podcast wise you've ever listened to it can be an episode or a series. I really like 99% Invisible because um, every time I think I'm familiar with that subject, they do something with it that I was not expecting. They did one about the kids on the side of milk cartons that was not what you'd expect. They did one about the Octothorpe, which is the official name for a hashtag, which I think we'd covered on Answer Me This a few months ago, so I put off listening to it. And of course they did magical things with it. And the thing I know about it is that it will not waste my time. And I have so little time now to listen to podcasts, which is sad because there's editing in my ears all the time that um, it has to count yeah. <laughs> um, when I spend that time. And preferably it has to be short because if I have an hour, I could listen to three 20 minute different shows or one hour long thing. I would rather listen to three different ones and mm. see, hear what three different shows are doing. So that one, okay. I don't think I don't think you'd be disappointed got a bit of everything no i listened to the tim ferris podcast and mm-hmm. uh he recommended an episode of that recently and so i subscribed after listening to that one because it was just really really good yeah i just thought it was really well done yeah. so yeah, I'd, I'd back that one up what is the biggest mistake you've ever made and how did you overcome it oh god what in life in well it can be in <laughs> life it can be in podcasting it can be in writing it can uh, be in or any area that you've ever been in because you've been in no yeah i have i don't i don't well, that these are usually the things that I'm subconsciously thinking about all the time. And whenever I think of one, I want to punch myself in the head. And now you've asked me, I'm like, no, everything's been fine. <laughs> when I was at university, I fell asleep in a one-on-one tutorial in like the world expert of that subject. Wow. But it was very hot and I'd been up all night writing the essay for it. So that was, that was very embarrassing. 
there are things like the fact that there are so many hours advanced me this on record means that if I go back even a year, I think you probably wouldn't make that joke now. You wouldn't use that word now. You wouldn't edit it like this now. But I just have to not dwell on that hmm. because I can't sanitize the past, but I do have certain regrets. And I hate the fact there's an exclamation mark in the title. I've never been on board with that. I was going to ask how you got over that, but I, I don't think you can't get over the exclamation mark. <laughs> Everything else I get over by just not thinking about it. Is that Ollie? <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. Okay. What is the most? Ind- well, I think I probably asked you this in a, in a weird way, actually, or you've answered it in a weird way, okay. but I'm going to ask it again to oh, see yeah. if you get a different answer. Uh-huh. What is the most interesting thing you do that nobody ever gets to see in relation to your work? Oh. <laughs> oh. I always think that everything I do is really humdrum. Um, and um, You'd be surprised. Yeah, I know. But I think everything I can do is absolutely ordinary. And the reason why other people don't do it is because it's not worth doing. That's my underlying... That stops me from getting too arrogant. Because yeah. I think generally I'm overpraised for my work. Um, the insight we get into people's minds reading through our emails to answer me this is really great. Because people tell us some very personal stuff, very private stuff. And not all of it is suitable for the podcast, either because it's it's a comedy show and if someone's talking about something very difficult or like we, we've got a lot of teenagers listening a lot of them are, are struggling with anxiety or depression or self-harm those are not issues for a comedy show to rip apart obviously but the fact they feel like they can tell us is extraordinary and the fact that we've built this one-sided relationship with them is mm. is amazing and sometimes just someone will send a really funny email that doesn't have a question in it but it's very enjoyable to read and they probably never even know how enjoyable we found it because we don't have time to answer mm. <laughs> uh, so that's cool and with the illusionist it's just it's just the fact that i learn stuff i go into every episode ignorant because if i know how things are going to unfurl i'm just not interested in pursuing it who do you think is the most underrated person in the podcast industry oh huh oh man if i say someone then everyone's gonna think well she's suggesting that they're not popular um one person i really appreciate in britain and even more since the podcast gold rush has started um is a man called dave pickering who's been podcasting for a very long time i know him yeah. yeah and i know him through podcasting and i first met him when i was on his podcast getting better acquainted and he he approaches it in a different way to most people in a way that i think is of great value because an industry is forming and so much of it is like just money, money, money or benefit to me. Whereas him, it just feels like a very pure form of communication, which I, and I feel like I want to nurture that and protect it. It's very uncynical and very sincere. And um, he really puts himself out there. Like my work is not generally about me and it doesn't have my emotions in it. Like a lot of people's shows are sort of like a reality show where they're generating the material. Um, I'm not naturally given to do that because I think I'm boring (laughs) and I don't do anything. I just stay at home editing. It's boring. But people who can make their emotions into something that's compelling to other people who don't know them, I think that's a real talent. And I think that's much more of a genre in the States. But here, I listened to a Christmas episode of Getting Better Acquainted that Dave did in 2012. And I still think about it three and a half years later as just something that I could never do and really struck me very deeply. I have to find that one. I did his um, Comedy Night stand-up tragedy, mm. and he records them and puts them out as a podcast. And I'd recommend, if you're listening, I'd recommend that as a podcast to listen to as well. He's very, uh, yeah, I really like him. He's a lovely guy as well. He's lovely. He's he's a good guy. Yeah. Support Dave Pickering. Yes. He's one of the good people. Please do. Yeah. What do you think is the biggest problem in the podcasting industry, and how would you go about solving it? Oh, I think not editing is <laughs> is one <laughs> is one big problem. All the bad podcasts, because when people listen to a podcast for the first time, they will often judge 
the whole of podcasting on that. So if they get something as a sprawling mess, they're like, that's podcasting, which is damaging. I think the fact that it's so difficult for people to be able to find an audience and to be able to afford to do it, I think that is a problem. And I think it can cut out people that would make really interesting shows that took a lot of time to do and they had something very original to say because they can't afford to spend that time. Mm. Like, if you're already working two jobs and you have kids to support and stuff like that, like, how can you justify doing that? So that's an issue. It's, It's still... I think it's still a very white medium. It's still very male-dominated. So it's just like diversifying um, would be great. Um, Other problems. I think it could still be easier to make podcasts and upload them and for people to download them. I think there are still a lot of annoying steps involved in doing that that are a barrier to people doing either of those things. How how would you go about solving any of those? I can't solve these things. Like I I mould myself around... (laughs) <laughs> around what's available so I don't get too frustrated at what I can't control that I find inadequate my that's my survival technique okay <laughs> not saying it's good no 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 it's fine it's fine what is the best bit of advice you've ever been given and it can be something that you've never actually used because a lot of people have said stuff and they've gone they told me this and I still haven't used it so right <laughs> yeah advice it's usually me giving other people advice <laughs> um the advice that Ollie was given before we started the show, make sure it's not two people talking shit, that that was invaluable. Like, that was the difference between the show being bad and being not bad. But I think... What advice have I had? Starting The Illusionist, this is odd. It wasn't exactly overt advice, but getting to make that show and getting to be part of Radiotopia, it was almost like they were giving me permission to do the best work that I could and I didn't even know what I was capable of and I couldn't have done it had I not been given permission and I think it's partly like when when you're entering something like a commissioning process and you're like well there's no point emotionally investing too much when I have this one in two thousand chance of doing this thing so you hold back whereas when someone says okay we can pay you to make a show off you go there's quite a lot of pressure on it because people assume you're going to make a good show you think okay well how can I make this opportunity as good as possible while I've got it if, if you get that chance to take a risk, then take it and push yourself really hard. Because <laughs> it wasn't like, oh, finally, I'm getting money to do what I want. You can sit back. It's more like you're getting money to do what you want. So don't waste it because you know what it's like not to have that. If you could give some advice to someone who has not ever podcasted before and has not uh, maybe even heard one before, you know, they mm-hmm. just want to start one because they think it'd be something good for them to even try. Yes. What would be your sort of top say five bits of behind the scenes information that you you would have loved to have been told yeah about the production i would have loved to have been told let's leave that out because i don't want to regret (laughs) the inadequate knowledge i had i think people get very hung up on what they think they need to have sorted before they start so both the equipment people are very daunted and it can look like a lot of outlay and if you look it up online people are saying oh you need a mixing desk and here's this 300 pound mic i think the thing is you can do a lot with very little now and phone recording quality is remarkable like if you're in an okay room and you're holding the phone right you can put that out on the radio so work out what you can spend and then get the equipment that works for that don't think you have to have this amount of money's worth of equipment to make it work and similarly with your idea I kind of want people to push their ideas as much as possible because you can do so much in audio. I think it'd be very difficult to do in video without the budget and the equipment, but in audio, it's so much more forgiving and you can be ingenious with it. But most of us, and I include myself in this, are not. So see how far you can push your idea. But 
within what is possible for you to actually produce because some people it's so ambitious or so esoteric it's not practically a going concern um so it's finding that balance and also don't expect it to be good straight out the gate because no one's no one's is or if the first episode's the best one then that's a bad scenario as well so just be forgiving of yourself like make one but then make sure you make another one another one another one and do it regularly and close together because then you will learn quicker how to be good. Whereas if you just wait until you feel like doing it, then you never will, because you'll be like, well, I was shit last time, so I'm not really in the mood. You have to get over your own shitness because you've forced yourself to make another one. Yeah, I I can't emphasize that enough. And think long-term, you know, the first 10 might look uphill, but think, is there enough in this to make 50 or 100 or 200? Like in eight years time, am I still gonna enjoy this theme or this idea? So if you go back in a DeLorean and Mm -hmm. uh, talk to yourself for just a minute, before you sort of were going to say yes to Ollie, <laughs> to give yourself just a just a, a nugget of information from the future, or, or or just something that would maybe have guided you slightly differently. Yeah. What would you say to yourself? Don't allow the exclamation mark in in the title. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're going to leave it there. Thank you very much for coming on. Thanks, Simon. That was Helen. I really enjoyed that. I know I say it every time. I think a big takeaway for me from that was how time poor you can become when you invest more time in creating content online and how that kind of makes a divide in people who create content and people who consume content. I would love to listen to more podcasts. I've got loads of ones suggested to me recently and, I, and I've downloaded a few episodes, but I haven't really got around to listening to them. And I totally understand her point about not wanting to invest in ones that you don't trust the person in. And I'm hoping to make these edits tighter, which respects your time more. But if, if they're over an hour, they're over an hour. If they're under an hour, they're under an hour. But I want to make sure that the only things I leave in are the stuff that I think you'll get value from because I don't want to waste any of your time. If you like this chat and you want to learn more about building an audience for your podcast, please do think about buying my book. Uh, I've just sent off the final edits to Amazon and I'll have the printed copy soon in my possession, which will be exciting because I'm moving house at the same time. So I don't even know what address to get them sent to, which will be interesting, I guess but if you want to pre-order a copy of how to make a living by working for free which is all about how to find your audience develop it grow a connection with them and then ask them for support if they value what you do you can get a digital copy for five pound or a paperback copy for eight pound plus posts and packaging or you can get a signed copy you can get all of them on my website all the links are in the show notes or you can go to simonkane.co.uk forward slash shop alternatively if you just if you don't want to buy a copy of the book but you want to support the podcast please do give it an honest review or share this with someone that you think will get some value out of it all of these things maintain and support the thing that you value so please do consider doing some of these things thank you very much for listening thank you very much for subscribing thank you very much for buying my book if you do and i'll see you all in about 10 days time bye Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.